Sofa with Victoria, where authors and industry insiders discuss everything from serial killers to series fiction. I'm Victoria Selman, author of the Zeba McKenzie Criminal Profiler series, and each fortnight I'll be unpicking the latest trends and themes in crime fiction with a panel of household names and rising stars. Today I'm on the sofa with Mark Billingham, one of the UK's best-selling crime writers and author of the very long-running Tom Thorne series, which you may have seen on TV starring David Morrissey. Also Gold Dagger winner M.W. Craven, who Mike Tilton describes as Britain's answer to Harry Bosch. Mike's the author of the hugely popular Washington Post series, which has been translated into 21 languages. They're here today to talk about crime series as opposed to series crime, although given the subjects of some of their novels, we may end up talking about that too. Welcome, guys. Thanks for joining me today. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> it's been an exciting time for you both. Mark, your latest novel, Cry Baby, has just been long listed for the Theakston's Crime Novel of the Year Award. And Mike, you're back on the Gold Dagger list again. How many times is that now? It's the, it's the fourth time, actually, because I was shortlisted for the debut dagger in 13... 2013 so the, and was that with your was that with puppet show the debut no that was uh with a different series i had uh the Avison fluke series uh born in the burial gown which um so I, that, that was the first my first introduction to the crime world actually because i went down to the award ceremony and i sat on um the table right next to lee child and frederick forsyth because lee child was getting the diamond dagger that year oh nice and i was sitting next to his, his publicist who then introduced me after and uh and, um I mean, Mark will tell you at the when I got the gold dagger in in nineteen because I clearly wasn't expecting to to win it. And David, my agent, had said because um, he thought I was up for Black Summer, um, and, he, and he actually said, oh, "Shit!" When he realised it was the puppet show, so I, wasn't, I was completely unprepared. So I went up and it was the worst speech in the history. <laughs> but you got the name on the plaque, and that's what matters. Never mind the yeah, speech, yeah, right? Yeah. Can't take it away now. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Very cool. They're a great way, aren't they? These awards to kind of bring um, new writers to readers' attentions, I guess, as well. So, like to to spotlight. What what kind of things are you reading at the moment? Are you are you reading series books, standalones? What kind of thing do you tend to enjoy? I'm. I've, I've just finished Rabbit Hole. Uh, Mark's Mark's new one is out this out this year, um, out in in July, which is absolutely phenomenal. Um, I'm. Reading Amit Dan's new one, AA Dan's new one, because I'm doing the event with him the back end of June. So right. they're the two I'm, I'm, I'm reading at the minute. But I, yeah. I dip in out. My favourite series, I, I will buy the day they're out in hardback if I can't blag a free, a free copy. Um, yeah. And if, like my, if my series authors have standalones out as well, I'll also buy the standalones just because you know it's the, the quality yeah. of the writing. So Chris Brookmeyer... Um, he obviously has some series. I don't think he's wrote any series ones as well as Paula Bin ones, but I'll always buy the new Chris Brookmeyer. Yeah, you just know. It's like meeting up with old friends again in a way, isn't it, when you buy into a series, well, I guess. It, 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 you sort of buy into the style of the author as well, don't you? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Like Carl Hyerson, who is a huge fan of mine, I mean, he pretty much writes standalones. Every now and then there'll be a recurring character, but you just know you're going to be in for a roller coaster of a read. Yeah. And do you find your, I mean, talking about styles and with the two different series, do you find that it's kind of changed a lot between the two or is there a recognisable Craven <laughs> style that runs through it both in terms of the characterisation? two series. Yeah. Um, yeah well, well it's, it's funny actually because I, I signed with uh, my agent after I wrote the second book. I subbed the second book in that series to him and he said, I need you to write a new series, um, but I still want it set in Cumbria. 
So I, the puppet show was originally intended to be the plot of the the first series. So it was supposed to be the the, the, the last story in the trilogy. So I, when I actually put it down, because it was already sorted in my head, it only took 25 days to get the first draft down. Which, wow. Um, the creator took eight months, so it sort of tell, it tells you something. So, yeah, there is a bit of crossover. Um, yeah. sort of, and actually, in Dead Ground, there's some characters from the Fluke series do make a, an appearance. Yeah. Still, I stand, the, the one-eyed bouncer, puts a ball bearing in his eye when he goes to work because he keeps on losing his glass eyes when he fights. Oh, my God. Um, so <laughs> Not dark at all there. <laughs> no, so Poe threatens to punch him in the balls. In, in, in. <laughs> nice. <laughs> How about you, Mark? What are you reading at the moment? Um, oh, I'm on. I'm on a good run, actually. I've just. I mean, like Mike said, you you tend to do quite often. You're reading the books of people you're doing events with. Yeah. You know, because you know you're going to be having a conversation with somebody, so you, you and you get sent there later. So I've I've just finished the latest Laura Lippman, uh, which is fantastic. I got an event coming up with her. Uh, before that, I read the the, and we're lucky because we get to read books before they come out, which is a major yes. perk. Yeah, um, you get sent proofs and stuff, and the new novel by Megan Abbott, which is extraordinary. Um, the new book by Doug Johnson, which is fabulous. Um, and I'm now taking a little break from fiction, and I'm reading a, a, a book about the Pogues. Um, about the what? About the, the Pogues. The Pogues. Okay, the I don't a know. Rock, a rock band. Victoria. Oh, a rock band. Sorry, okay, I'm <laughs> showing my ignorance here. <laughs> you know, they're not some new kind of crime. Not band. ABBA, is it? No, <laughs> I've heard of them. No, they're definitely not ABBA. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a book by James Fernley, who was one of the poets. So it's about, right. you know, um, so I'm so I'm, And then I shall then I shall be cracking on with. Um, oh, I don't know. I don't know what's next. And I read I read Dead Ground. I got lucky enough to get a, a co- early copy of Dead Ground, which is great. Um, and it's, you know, uh, it's interesting. It's interesting talking about series because for me, it's do you know what? It's all about character. It really yeah. is all about character. I mean, I, I first got turned on to to crime fiction at an age of about 13 because we had a crazy teacher who would read us Sherlock Holmes stories in lessons. Not an English teacher, a maths teacher. Oh, really? Great maths yeah, lessons. Wish I'd had one like that. Oh, an amazing uh, old fella, and he just got bored in his own lessons. And we <laughs> it is maths, I mean, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. And he would, he would read us Sherlock Holmes stories. And even now, I can't remember what the story... I mean, you know, there was snakes and poison and all that stuff, but it's the character. You know, yeah. it's a character. And in, in 20 years' time, nobody, nobody, you know, people will go, oh, I love I love the Poe and Tilly series. And they'll go, oh, which one do you like? And they'll go, oh, I don't know. It's the one about, mm. oh, I can't. But it's the characters. It's the character that's that driving they it. they stay with. Mm. You know, I love, I love, you know, all, all those series. I love Inspector Morse. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't necessarily tell you the plot of that book yeah. or that TV series or whatever it would be, but it's it's the way the characters develop. It's what you the characters are driving it as much. Yeah, spending time really... with old friends. And I mean, yeah. um, this is this is a harsh thing to say, but I, I was gathered. I, I was in a, a bar at some festival with a bunch of other. I think it was me and John Connolly and Ian Rankin or something, and we were sitting around having a beer and talking about the fact that if a bomb was to go off in that place right now, we were all going to be wiped out. Then the people that like our books would go, "Oh, that's a bit of a shame," but. They'd carry on. They'd happily, you know, as long as somebody mm. else was writing, you know, Harry uh. Bosch and John Rebus and Charlie Parker or Washington Poe or Tom yes. Ford. I mean, that's the fact, that's the truth of it. Isn't it's that interesting? And actually, of course, picking up about the Lee Child point from before, Mike, I mean, that's an example, isn't it? I mean, Lee Child stopped now writing the Reacher books. Mm. And is it his brother? I forget his name, not Simon, is Andrew. it? Andrew, there you go, Andrew, Andrew yeah. Child. And it's gone straight into the bestseller list. So exactly like you said, it's not just the writing style people are buying into, it is the character. What is it, it is, do you think? It is, yeah. 
Yeah. What do you what do you think makes a really good character? I mean, that's a big question, isn't it? But I mean, for a series, because it's different to a really good character, potentially for a standalone, for example, like somebody that's going to carry a series has got to have something else about them other than just. Yeah. I mean, they've got to have a lot. Of, they've got to have depth. And they've got. To yeah. Be, I think they've got to be real. Uh, yeah. Because you can get away some more outlandish over the top. Um, yeah. Flatter characters in, in standalones to a certain degree, I suspect. Yeah. But I mean, the the. the um, the Bosch series that Marx just mentioned, which is probably um, mine and a lot of uh, crime writers' sort of um, sort of gold standard crime series, I, I suspect. You, you you sort of know what Bosch is going to do. Yeah. You could sort of when Bosch is given evidence or is told not to do something normally, you you, you know what he's going to do because you've come to know that character mm. and you've you've sort of grown. You've grown with them. So Bosch and Rebus, they're not the same characters now that they were at the start of the book, which mm. what, which is what holds what's what holds your interest. Yes. It, that's not always the case though. I mean, it, I mean, if you look at the Lee Child books, um Jack Richard doesn't have as much character development as, as perhaps some other series do. But but the quality mm. of the writing and um mm. he, he sucks you into the story so so well. It, it's equally effective so I don't think there's a, there's a one line that's really interesting isn't it it's like one has an arc and the other has much less of one so Reach is all about his moral values if you want to call it that you know sort of the Clint Eastwood of, <laughs> of crime fiction or whatever you know riding in on his horse whereas I guess what's so interesting about um, Rankin's character is is how he's developed over time I mean he's literally aged doesn't he and that's mm. I mean I remember going to a crime fest um First of all, and they were talk- he was talking about how that's actually posed a whole set of problems in itself, having to age this character. And um... I, was, I was watching that, that uh, documentary when uh, the, the journalist, I forgot the journalist's name, he spent a year with them. And because um, yeah. Ian Rankin, he was saying he doesn't like doing research, but he had to do this one bit of research because mm-hmm. he didn't know if the beach um, had steps down to the beach because Rebus was now at the age where he wouldn't be hop a fence. So he had to actually ah. go and have a look. It was It was really interesting. And so it's interesting as well, isn't it? Like his character is almost outgrowing him, out, out-aging him, whatever the expression would be. It's like the kind of with dogs, isn't it? How they're sort of your babies to begin with, and then they sort of get to be old people before, before you are with your character. <laughs> They've got to do that. I mean, there are some yeah. series which, which you know, we probably shouldn't mention by name, but there are <laughs> series where the character has been exactly the same age for, for 40 years. Yeah. Um, and actually, there's one series I can think of where yeah. all the characters around the major character have aged, but the main character hasn't. Really? Now I'm intrigued which one you're talking about. <laughs> it's just utterly preposterous. Uh, yeah. And, and I mean, you know, we, we play fast and loose with it. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, certainly in terms of, of Tom Thorne, I started aging him in real time, exactly the way Ian does. And each book he was a, he was a, a year older. And then I realised, you know, you realise you're going to run out of time. You're yes. Kind of gonna, so... So even though there's a year between books, there's not doesn't have to be a year between cases. You know, mm. you can actually start the next case the day after the, the previous That's one. That's true. If you want. So the character has to age. And yeah. like Mike says, the character has to change and develop. So you have characters mm. like Reacher or Bond. You mm. know, I think Reacher is very much in that, uh, where it, it does what it says on the tin. Mm. And readers of readers of Jack Reacher books don't want Jack Reacher to change. Mm. No, they don't they want don't. him on a Zimmer in a walking. Yeah, they they yeah. do the things they expect him to do. Um, whereas uh, the characters we're writing about, they're not the same at the end of one book. Mm. Uh, how can they be? You know, we're putting these people through grief and pain and, and mm. loss and death, and mm. they, they have to change and they have to carry their scars with them. So at the mm. end of five books or ten books or twenty books. Mm. so far removed from what they were when you started writing them. 
And is that what keeps the series fresh for you as a writer? Because I guess that's that's the the possibly the problem as well, isn't it? Not getting stale in terms of your own writing. It's like the slippers too comfy when you put them back on to write, kind of thing. Yeah, well, I I learned. I like to think I learned from the best. Who, who, as Mike has already said, is is Mike Connolly. I think who you know, mm. pound for pound, is probably the best crime writer on the planet. And, and and his series, the Bosch series, as Mike said, is the gold standard, pretty much. Mm. And the way he's kept that fresh is to step away and do other things. Mm. So to, to write standalones. I mean, the first Connolly book I wrote was uh, read was a standalone, was the poet. And mm. then and then you open the book and you go, oh look, there's all these Barry Bosch books, and you go and read them as mm. well. Yes. And then he's written other series which bleed into kind of as Mike was saying, with you know characters from one series appear in another series. He's created this kind of universe, right? Uh, and so that's the way he keeps it fresh. So I did, you know, I just copied him. I think I wrote five or six Thorn novels on the bounce and then wrote a standalone. And I now write a standalone every few books. Okay. And you go away and do something else. And then you you hopefully return to the character fired up and keen to spend some time with them. Because I, I couldn't write, I couldn't write a series uh, book over and over. I mean, you know, this is actually what we're here to talk about, I suppose, the pros yeah. and cons of the series. But yeah. uh, And the big con for me, it's interesting, is... I was listening to another writer talk about this the other day. You have a backstory, which you have to, every book has to work as a, as a standalone for new readers. You have to presume yes. every reader, a new reader hasn't read all the other books. Yeah. And interestingly, with series, they used to do this thing five, five, six years ago where they'd put, you know, Thorn book 16, right? Mm. And then they suddenly realized that was a bad thing to do. Mm. Yes. From a marketing point of view, because people pick it yes. up and go, well, I haven't read the first 15 and put it back yes. again. Every book has to work on its own merit. But yeah. You have to honour the things that have happened in the previous 15 books. You can't pretend they haven't happened. No. Eventually it can become, and this is how this crime writer described it, like Jacob Marley dragging his chains around. You you know, you sometimes kind of go, oh, God, well, if I talk about that, then I've got to talk about that. And and you have to do it all in an elegant way without giving away, without spoiling previous books. Yes. Um, And that was the joy of of my most recent Thorn novel, Crybaby. It was a prequel. So I didn't have any of that. None oh, nice. So almost like starting with a blank page in a way, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of was. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it can become problematic, that thing, when you when you have to reference previous books. Don't How is that for you? I mean, you've written about, what, 17 Thorn novels? Is that right? Uh, that neck of the woods, yeah. Uh, no, I mean amazing but I mean how is that in terms of remembering everything that said you have like incredible no, spreadsheets no, I have no. nothing. and and this is one of the things you were talking about series characters I decided early on that there, I wasn't going to know who Thorne was I don't really know any I don't I genuinely don't know any more about him than the reader does okay uh, and that goes from description to you know family and all that stuff I don't have it all planned out which means I get things wrong you know yeah. Why are his books brown in book six? Why are his eyes brown in book six and green in book 12? Because I messed up, you know? Um, what's his mum's name? I can't remember what his mum's name is, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so I don't have that that kind of spreadsheet. And eventually, the, the book that's coming out year after next, the next Thorn novel, which I finished, just about finished, is will spoil a couple of things in previous books. But there's no, I had no way to avoid it. It's something I've been yeah. dancing around for about three books, this thing that happened. And you yes. can't keep having these characters that were involved in an event when they're no. talking about it. Yeah. You go, oh, you know the thing, you know that terrible thing we did. <laughs> and eventually it just becomes ridiculous. So yes. I just bite the bullet with this next book and go, right, I'm putting this to bed. This is what it was. Just this is what happened. Yeah. You know. I wonder how that'll be then, you know, talking about people going back and maybe who start, 
from that book and then go back to the other one. Well, it's 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 a, it's it's a constant balance. Yeah, isn't it? So you you want Mike? You want Dead Ground to work as a a complete standalone? You reference things in previous books. Yeah. You know, you uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, stuff, but it. It's you know. it's relevant actually because something happened at the end of the creator which was horrific which which I couldn't just ignore I absolutely couldn't because um, it was a life changing event for for one of the key characters. Yeah. Um, but but you're right. I, I mean, I suppose you've, you're in that advantage, Mark, to a certain degree because if someone picks up book say twenty when you reveal this thing that happened, mm. and then they go back to book one, then there's there's a there's a good chance they might have sort of forgotten. Yeah. what happened by the time they work the way through it but yeah me, I'm, I'm, I'm still sort of well i've written six books in the series now and, and i'm just like you said actually i'm having a break otherwise it's, it's sort of like you're right writing an infinite story isn't it you yeah you, you, you get kind you of sick the of end yeah one day and then a couple of days later you write the title of the new one or yeah the, but you're not just you. having a break are you mike i mean let's let's tell our listeners <laughs> written how many books during lockdown <laughs> just piling them up ready to uh, go <laughs> well, I've, I've written a lot i mean the next two poe books are complete um i've written a st- i wrote a standalone years ago before i wrote um the second flute book which okay. my editor bought so the next three books are actually done so my agent says you can have two years off and very nice you actually <laughs> miss any deadlines but i'm not going to do that so i'm, I'm okay. doing a standalone next i'm, I'm going to start right. it um in, in about a month, I think. And would you want to go for that quite far away from the sort of territory you've been occupying with? Yeah, I'm in New York. Are you? Oh, uh, nice. It's okay. Be, it's not going it's to, it's good. Not, it's not so much a crime book. There certainly won't be, the cops won't be the, yeah. the, um, the, the main character. Yeah. Uh, it's a good thing to do because, you know, whenever, whenever I've done it, you start the standalone and, and you hit that panic. You hit that panicky wall you know, Mm. after a couple of weeks and you go, why am I doing this? Why am I, I could just be writing, you know, I could just be writing Tom Thorne and Phil Hendricks sitting doing this and I've got all my tent pegs and all the characters in place. But then once you get to grips with it, you realise that, you know, it's called a comfort zone for a good reason. Mm. Yeah. If things things are too comfortable, then it's, then it's bad creatively and you need to step out of it. And every time I've done it, I've been really, really grateful I have. And, been very pleased with the book at the end of it and do you find as well as it bringing a freshness to the series when you go back to it does it bring something else to it as well like have you learned something from the process of writing the standalone that then you can you can bring yeah i hope so i mean the the new book i've got coming out rabbit hole is the first book for example i've written wholly in the first person okay quite a lot of first person stuff but never a whole book and i bloody loved it i absolutely loved it yeah Uh, like mike i was pretty productive during during lockdown and and wrote this book incredibly quickly, yeah. um, which may, may or may not be a good thing, which time will tell. But um, first person lets you do that. First yeah. person is a, it's a kind of stream of consciousness thing when yeah. you're, you're in one person's head for the entire book. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it did, it did. It actually meant that when I wrote the next Thorn book, which is coming out in 2022, that was pretty quick as well. I kind okay. of got this burst of, you know, burst of speed. I've yeah. slowed right down now, but um, <laughs> uh, well, the, the shops and the pubs are open again. I mean, you know, <laughs> look, they are, in theory, every every book should teach you something. And, yes, uh, I mean one of one of the things they don't tell you when you start this game is that it gets harder. And I can remember, I can remember vividly sitting down to write the second book, mm. going, "Oh well, I can do this now. I've written, look, I've written a book." And going, mm. "Why? Oh my God, why is this so hard?" And then the third book harder than the second, and the fourth harder than the third. In what way harder do you think? Harder to because well, firstly, you're always trying to write a better book, or yeah. you should be. I mean, yeah. you know, you should at least have that ambition. Yeah. You know, 
a more interesting plot, deeper characterization, whatever it might be. On top of which, of course, there are commercial pressures that grow mm -hmm. as your series carries on and your publisher wants to sell a few more books than they did last time okay. and all that stuff. Okay. So there's a certain amount of pressure, but at bottom is the ambition to write a better book. And okay. it took somebody, I can't remember who it was, to go, well, yeah, that's exactly how it's supposed to be, you idiot. It's supposed to mm -hmm. get on. Yeah. And the strange thing happens, I don't know whether you have this, Mike, but you finish a book and you go, phew, boom, put it to bed and it's great and you have a few weeks off and then some more ideas. Then you sit down to write the next one and it's like you've forgotten how to do it. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing. You know, yeah. my wife says, oh, God, you always say this. Shut up. Stop moaning. You know, it <laughs> takes about 50 pages before you go, oh, yeah, I, I think I can do this. Do you think that's a confidence thing? It's almost like you doubt yourself at the beginning and because, like you say, you've got that pressure. It's like that worry and the worry is what's holding you back from believing in yes, yourself. I, I mean, I don't know a single writer I respect that doesn't have imposter syndrome. Yeah. Because, uh, I, mean, I mean, let's face it, I think, I think imposter syndrome is a good thing because what's the opposite? You know, uh, arrogance, entitled arrogant dick syndrome. <laughs> and you know, we know that's a hashtag waiting to be made right but you know you do you do wait for that little tap on your shoulder going you've had your run mate well done now yeah now, uh, somebody else's turn um, maybe it's that ambition as well that constantly is what makes you produce better books i mean we do need it and you can't be complacent and the minute you are that's when you just you're gonna i mean there's so many writers and again we won't name any where i've read and loved their early books and then almost the point where I'm just immediately picking up the next bit they've written because their name's on the cover only to be disappointed because they're falling into the same formulae or the same old kind of characters or whatever. And it's, it's really disappointing as a reader, I think to, to have that as well. Never mind, you know, I, there's a thing. I mean, I, I was listening to uh, John, John Conley. He, he, he came to Carlisle library. So I tootled off. That was when you had that anthology. Um, mm. all, well, the crime writers, uh, a lot of crime writers did sort of essays on their favorite crime writers. Books to die um, for. Yes, that's it. And um, he, he was saying ex exactly that. He was saying that the problem with the first book is you put everything, all your ideas into that first book. Yeah. And he referenced Rebus, actually, Rebus being in the SES, which in Rankin sort of never really did anything with. Um, and it, it's a bit like um, second album syndrome for a band to a certain degree, because the first album has all their songs. It has basically the cream of, the, the songs that they've been maybe writing for five or six years, then they suddenly they get a deal and then they've got to write a new album. Mm. Got, they've got, they've basically got to cram about five or six, potentially even longer years of work into a little 12 month period to, to do, to feed the I was going to say with a deadline, isn't it as well? Yeah. Like your first yeah. one you've um, had all the time. Yeah. So, so sometimes I, I think it's, uh, you just don't, you, the, these, these authors just don't have the ideas. So they, mm. they sort of fall back to what they have read. Mm. And therefore, they're just uh, regurgitating other other sort of plots and, and, and mm. themes and, and, and characters sometimes, which mm. uh, is, which which is why I think, as we're coming back to what we're saying, it's it's nice for serious characters to dive into a standalone just to just to mm. do a to use the buzzword um, a circuit break. Well, we all do it. We all do it because we all live in fear. Those of us that write series, we all live in fear of you know writing one book too many, two books too many, ten mm. books. You don't want to be that writer whose series is past their sell-by date. Mm -hmm. You know, we all know those series are out there. You've just talked about them, Victoria. You know, you pick one up and go, oh, this again. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, this is the same book, but just with different names, you know. Yeah. And it's particularly relevant, isn't it, when someone's coming new to the series and they're working through your backlist. Mm. Because if you're a Tom Thorne fan from day one, then you're reading a Tom Thorne book once a year. Mm. If you're reading 
yeah. 16, 17 Tom Thorne books over the space of 12 months, then you will notice books that are starting to appear the same. I mean, your mm. books obviously don't mark, because, I mean, you, 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 you've, you've avoided that because... And that's and that's why you're the uh, the master is that. Ah, um, oh, schmoozy, schmoozy. <laughs> I, I had this review in the in the Times and um, and it was referenced that the masters like um, Mark Billingham and I, I can't remember who the other one I mentioned. And Mike that. Craven and. <laughs> no, he was saying I need to aspire to that, so I sent Mark <laughs> and he, he said us masters leave money by the toilets and <laughs> like that, but. Um, so yeah, so if you write the same book over and over again, you will get found out eventually. You will. Yeah. You absolutely will. You absolutely will. I mean, I, I think fans of a series will, you know, will give one of their favourite writers a book or two. You know, mm-hmm. they'll go, well, the last book, you know, wasn't as good as you know, mm. I was expecting, but I'm sure the next one will be a return to form. Mm. Oh, it isn't. And, and eventually, you know, time will tell and you will get found out. So mm. you've, got, you've got to have that ambition. And if mm. you feel that your series is maybe hitting a bit of a wall go away do something else mm. go away write something else write a standalone start a new series do you know yeah. um it's it, it is a tricky one and, and it's interesting you use the word formulaic i can remember i wrote three my first three books and if i'm honest looking back those three books were were of a you could almost call them a trilogy i didn't i didn't want them to to be looked <laughs> at that way but they had similar titles and they had similar kind of themes so I did, decided that the next book was going to be completely different. I wanted to write something completely different. So mm-hmm. I wrote this book, which was called The Burning Girl, a long time ago. And the first review said, what a shame Billingham has, has changed a winning formula. Uh. <laughs> I, remember, I remember being so kind of annoyed by this review because thinking, well, the fact that it was a formula. I was I'm just going to say. But the fact yeah. that it was a formula was the reason I tried to change it. And if it's a formula, it's not going to be winning for too long as well, is yeah, it? That's exactly. kind of the thing. Yeah. What about, I guess, from the sort of the, the business side of it, what's what's so interesting to me, and I, I mean, Mark, it'd be interesting actually to hear your, both your takes. Obviously, you might have come into, come into it a bit later. But back in the day, I remember talking to... Um, to Lee Child again at Crime Fest, and he was saying his first book, Killing Floor, how it sold X number of copies. And it was in those days, you know, he was disappointed by that number. It was it was funny. I then said it to my friends, I'm like, but we'd have been really glad with that number. <laughs> it's a nice number, but whatever. And apparently it took him, was it he was saying four or five books to actually really take off. Whereas now, and it's interesting to hear your take on it. I don't think publishers would give you that time to, you know, they don't invest in the same way into a series and, and it's different, isn't it? Things have really changed oh, in that respect. It is, it is much different. I mean, no, absolutely. Lee, uh, Lee wasn't an instant massive bestseller. And, you know, you've all, we've already mentioned Ian Rankin, I think who took maybe eight books. Was it eight? Uh, wow. Yeah. I mean, Ian's breakthrough was a book, a book called Black and Blue, which was, yeah, well into the series. Wow. Yeah. Um, same story with Val McDermott. Um, same story with a lot of writers and back in those days publishers would invest time mm-hmm. and money and build authors now mm-hmm. as you're suggesting you've basically got two shots at it you've yeah. pretty much got two shots at it you get a two book deal which is a standard <laughs> and if one of those books doesn't do well bye-bye I mean it's brutal it is it is pretty mm-hmm. brutal. Um, but that is that is the way it works now um, there was an article in the bookseller recently wasn't there about uh, Steve Cavanagh uh, saying this it's a a lesson in sticking with talented authors um, mm. because I mean, he's a, he's a, um, a mega star now. Um, and that's because the publisher stuck with him. And then obviously mm. we, we all know what happened, but mm. it, it, it doesn't it, happen it, very often. Does he, it? he took something on uh, Twitter uh, recently, just, just saying how many 
copies his first few books sold compared to the, the books now, and the, the difference is phenomenal. Well, look at Steve Kavanagh as the other example. I mean, he was saying well, what? That's exactly few... what I just said. I'm sorry. Did you say Steve Kavanagh? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I was thinking. Okay. I don't, I don't think I don't think Victoria is listening. To I was listening. I missed the name. I missed the name. Sorry. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? Let's change questions so I can listen even harder. <laughs> um, let's. Um, Let's let's actually picking up on that because it is a really interesting subject. The whole kind of thing about the shiny new debut is the other thing, isn't it? Now, how everyone has to keep reinventing. So I know he's not a sort of series writer, but Steve Mosby is the obvious example with um, the Whisper Man and, and having to change his name to Alex North. What what do you think about that? I, I know not I think, but what do, what do you think about that idea of the sort of the allure of the shiny new debut? And is it right? And thinking about how long it's taken some of these masters, there you go, I can schmooze too, to um, to build their series. Is it? Is it a fair expectation? Should we not be expecting authors to get better over time rather than? Um, well, I mean, Steve Mosby's always been an amazing writer. And, yeah. Uh, a writer who never sold as many as he should sell. Um, yeah. And, but I'm sure between Mike and I, we could come up with 20 writers like that who, yeah. who don't get that lucky break. I mean, so much luck is involved. And, yeah. and you know, whenever you, you do workshops or whatever with new writers, they go, you know, how do I? And you go, work hard and be lucky. Uh, is, mm. is pretty much the only advice you can give anybody, um, and yeah, the fact that that that, that name change just worked and and uh, you know suddenly, but and that's great. That's just mm. um, because a writer that good should be being read. It doesn't matter what the yeah. name is on the front of the jacket. Um, yeah. Yes, it is a thing that you know the shiny new debut is uh, ha- has become a thing, um, but but that shiny new debut, whether it is a genuine debut or whether it's a debut by an author that's just changed their name, it's still got to do well or they won't be around. Uh, you know, two or three years down the line. It's, mm. it's an incredibly, we always talk about what a polite industry it is. And it is, it is genuinely pretty polite compared with, I don't know, music or television or, you know, mm. it is. It seems less brutal, but it's only, it only kind of seems that way. Yeah. Um, you know, I, you know I, I've seen authors, friends of mine dropped incredibly brutally uh, yeah. uh, just because, you know, the sales weren't quite what was expected. Um, yeah. And you, you know, you just have to count yourself as being very lucky, and 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 you have to be aware of changing kind of taste. I mean, I remember. So when I when I took my first book into a publisher, I was in the fortunate position of having a bunch of publishers who wanted to publish it. I wasn't even finished; it was only thirty thousand words. And I had the what are, the series of what are called beauty contests, where you go from publisher to publisher and they throw muffin baskets at you or whatever it is, <laughs> and uh, and all that round, round boardroom tables. And the first question they all asked. So this is about. 1999, 2000. The first question every one of them asked was, "Is this the start of the series?" It was the first, virtually the first words out of their mouth, and I'm like, "Yes, at yes, whatever you want me to say, I will say it." Mm. Um, because back then, that was the holy grail. Mm. Uh, it really was. I mean, everybody wanted the next series, another series, and that then changed. That changed a few le- years later, thanks to books like "Tell No One" by Harlan Coben, uh, "Mystic River" by Dennis Lehane, books. You know, by authors who'd written series that hadn't actually set the world on fire mm. and then wrote these standalones that went kind of stratospheric. And suddenly people went, oh, hang on a minute. It doesn't huh. just have to be, you know, a series with recurring characters. Um, and actually, I, do, I don't think the police procedural series now is anywhere near as popular as it was uh, 20 years ago. There are so many of them as well, aren't there? I guess it's like to stand know, out, you have to be so. Too bloody many of them. <laughs> but you have to be so exceptional, I think, to stand out is the point. And that's, you know, it's a crowded market, so it's harder. But that's really interesting. Sorry, what, yeah. the, the, the yeah. one thing, I don't know whether Mike would agree with me about this, is that the, the problem in a way now is because there are so many of them, 
people that now are new onto the scene and writing them are going, how can I make my character stand out? What can I do? And and they end up throwing the most bizarre and absurd kind of quirks and foibles and looking for a gap in the market and going, well, there isn't a, there isn't a detective working in the 17th century and (laughs) or whatever it might be. And you go, there's probably a very good reason why. (laughs) Yes, exactly. You know, the secret of suspense we all get we always get asked how do you create suspense and and yeah reveals and cliffhangers and twists and all that stuff and that's a great day at the office when you think of a good one but actually you give the reader a character that they yeah. can engage with yes. and you suspense from page one because you care about them so that's yeah. you're worrying what's happening to them and that's the suspense yeah that's a really interesting point that you just made about somebody people who've gone from writing series to writing standalones and how that's suddenly really taken off I wonder if there's something one can learn like we've talked about haven't we you guys going from series to standalone but from the flip side of it I wonder if there's anything one can learn from series to take to a standalone is there is it to do with rounding your characters amazingly and sort of maybe that's that's the thing or is there is there something else I wonder that's there's been a reason for that change in success I think it's the difference between writing a novel and a short story, almost. Yeah. Uh, in that, you know, when we're writing a novel, we've got 120,000 words or something to kick around and, and, you know, you can go off on tangents and do all that sort of stuff, whereas with a short story, you can't waste a word, you know. Uh, every, every, every sentence has to earn its place in the story. And with a standalone, you know, if you know these are not characters that you're going to revisit, these mm. are not characters that you can develop over five or six books, You've really got to make them earn their their place in the in the book. Um, I'm I'm very I'm very envious of people who write standalone after standalone after standalone. Yeah. I'm very I, I admire that enormously because God, it's hard enough to think of a, of a handful of new characters to put into a series novel. You know, yeah. but to think of an yeah. entire cast of new characters that you'll never come back to, yeah, uh, is amazing. I think. Yeah, I, I, mean, about- I had a, re- a review on. Um, it might have been Amazon. It was, um, and, and she'd enjoyed the book. This lady, but she said the the feeling of tension isn't there with series because you know the character is going to be uh, at the end because he's going to be in the, in the next one. Whereas yeah. With a standalone, absolutely, you, you can kill them off. You can do what you want them. If you, mm, that's if, interesting. It, it, I mean, some, sometimes a standalone will then end up turning into a series. But if you write it purely as a standalone. And we all, we all know standalones where the, the key character has died at the end. And it's yes. been an absolutely fantastic book. Um, so one, one of the problems I've had with, and, and Mark, I'm sure you've had this as well, um, well, I hope you've had it, uh, is reintroducing your character to you readers in a different way that doesn't bore yeah, in an readers in the first way. 17 yep. books. Because trying to describe Tilly, for example, right, is... Because she needs a bit of um, a bit of an introduction, mm. uh, just because you you need to sort of get on board and board with her way of thinking. You, so you need to, an introduction to her to her quite early on in the book. Poe, you can get away with. Poe, you can just sort of work out as as he's going along. But trying to do that in a new way, and I'm only six books in now, and mm-hmm. Mark trying to do the same for Tom Thorne and, and the rest of the gang. Well, it's interesting you say you can get away with Poe but not with Tilly. Um, and you're absolutely right, of course. If you didn't introduce Tilly, then then as soon as a reader starts reading Tilly, they're going to go, what's wrong with her? Do you know mm. what I mean? They'd go, what? Yes. why does she talk like that? Or what? You know, you do have to say, this is who Tilly is. And yeah. then, you know, wind her up and let her go. Um, whereas Poe kind of, you know, you will discover who he is, as it were. Mm. Um, and I know I have exactly the same thing kind of with Thorne and with Phil Hendricks, in that Thorne, 
yeah, he, he just does his thing. And I don't like what he looks like doesn't matter, for example. It's not an issue. But I have to kind of at least briefly physically introduce this character, Phil Hendricks. And I've, you know, I've now had to do it 18 times. And you try and find a way to do it that doesn't just go, here he is. A man walked into the room with a shaved head and loads and loads of piercings and tattoos everywhere. You need to find some way to do that that mm. is just sort of elegant. I keep using this word elegant. But it's the best way I can think of to describe it that isn't just like, boom, information dump. Information dump. So, um, it's, it's a, it is a very tricky, it's a very tricky thing, but you have to treat, you have to presume that every book, whether it's book one or book 18, mm. is the first time a reader will come across those characters. Mm. Um, and, and it is a tricky, tricky line to walk. Because wonder, that's yeah. what you want, isn't it? You want new readers, because that's how, you, that's how the series grows, isn't it? If, if, mm. if, if you're just speaking to the same readers all the time, then it either, it either dips down because yeah. you, 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 bounce, you will lose readers along the way anyway. Yeah, and of course, it's some of them are going to die. Your, your um, publisher wants, you know, book 18 to be, yeah. they're always saying things like a perfect entry point to the series. This is a yeah. perfect entry yeah. point to the series. <laughs> so that then they'll read that book and they'll look and go, oh, there's a huge backlist and they'll go back and start a book one. Uh, yeah, that's the dream. Of course it is for you and for your publisher. <laughs> mm. I wonder if that's the thing as well, though. I mean, talking about how series writers then become successful with standalones, because one of the things I notice often that I don't enjoy about certain standalones is what you call the information dump. So you have somebody telling you all about the backstory that has absolutely no relevance to anything. This person's brother was into hiking and they like this and they like that and da di da di da It's like so bloody what? And actually, like you're saying, in a series, you have to be more elegant. You have to just, the broad brushstrokes to give the reader what they need to know without, you know, filling the page with, you know, all the detail and well, maybe that's something to be honest whether it's a standalone uh, uh, or a series novel it's all i just think that's plain bad writing mm. you know, in whatever kind of book it's just um you know for for me you do all that through dialogue i think that's yeah. the way you, I think you so. do it is that you you put your characters on the page and let them talk and and all the information is provided to the reader that way um, I think that's absolutely right. And if you look at, I mean, I, I know Royal Dell wouldn't like us saying this, but, you know, I think film and TV is such a perfect example. You don't ever on a TV show have the narrator doing an aside saying, oh, by the way, this guy's mother was such and such. It's all through the dialogue. So it can be done. And it's just. Oh, God, yeah. I, I, and I think that's what I think that's what the best writers do. Also, mm. I think it's about playing to your own strengths. I mean, I because I used to write for television a long time ago. Um, all you've got is dialogue, as you say. Mm. You can write the most the most glorious stage directions but once a director and a designer and actors and all that get involved it doesn't go for anything yeah all you're left with is your dialogue i have a particular there's a particular part of my brain that must be missing because i'm terribly bad at descriptions of landscape for example like i i just it's not my fault not my strong suit right i could stare at a sky all day long and not be able to describe it as anything more than a sky (laughs) but i think i can write dialogue pretty well so yeah. I let dialogue do all the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, you know, you talk about how it can be done. You know, Elmore Leonard, you know, the master of that kind of stuff, or, or yeah. a book like The Friends of Eddie Coyle by George V. Higgins, which is largely written in almost entirely in dialogue, the whole yeah. book. And yeah. just, because that, you're not doing the reader's job for them. Yes. You're letting the reader go, wow, who is, the, who, what, is this, yeah. what does this character look like? You know, who, um, they do all that. You don't need to describe everything. And, I agree. And, and it's the interaction, isn't it, between the different characters that bring the book alive anyway, I think. Yeah. And so, yeah. No, I think that's really interesting. Um, great. Guys, i got a last question for you. And this oh, is my wild question. card. It is. It's the last question. We could talk about this forever. So <laughs> how do you keep it in the line of time? But this is my desert island, not discs question. So in no particular order, Mark and Mike, if you were stranded on a desert island, which 
crime series character would you most like to share it with? Mike, let's ask you first. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with uh, Skink from Carl Hyacinth's um, series of standalones, I'm going to say, but he's the one recurring character. Skink would uh, be through. great on a desert island. Because he, he, he'd, be he'd be on edge, wouldn't you? Because he's, he's, a bit, he's a bit out there. Plus, he's, he seems to be a bit of a survivalist. Exactly. Well. <laughs> he'd, he'd, he'd provide all your food. He'd do all the hunting. He'd it'll, all be road, it'll be roadkill. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no roadkill on the desert island. It'd be a boot kill, maybe. <laughs> How about you, Mark? I, I thought you had to have two. Oh, I was going to, well, we were going to talk about crime uh, series duos, but we never got around to that. So I amended oh, my I question. But you can do two if you want. If you want a duo, put them on. Um, uh, well, uh, you know, Harry Bosch and Rene Ballard, maybe. Um, or, oh, God, there are so many. There are so many. Um, you have to give us a reason why, if that helps narrow it down. Oh, now you're. Now, you, now, now I'm talking. <laughs> I, I guess you want all the people, you, you want somebody on the island with you that can do stuff you can't. Yes. Which is why I'm very jealous Mike to pick skin because that, that's a fantastic <laughs> choice. Like, you know, I would literally be on the island going, ah, <laughs> ah. I, I couldn't start a fire or build a shelter or do anything. I'd sunbathe for a while. Then... <laughs> <laughs> you think you and uh, Bosch would get on, Mark? Me and Bosch? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you get this thing? I mean, here's the thing about series characters. Do you get readers go, oh, why doesn't, why doesn't Washington Poe team up with, you know, Roy Grace or John Rebus or Tom Yeah, I, I get Harry Verdi from AA Dance Series. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> and people that's always funny. suggest that. And it's one of those things that's a great idea on paper, but would actually be shit. It, <laughs> it, it would never work. I mean, apart from the fact that how do you practically do it? Mm. And where do you set it and all that stuff? That those, those kind of things never work. So the idea of being stranded on an island with a fictional character, that sort, that, that, that sort of it. I think Harry Bosch would be pretty good. He'd, he'd kick ass. Um, and he'd get, he'd get us off the island. He's, you know, he, he was a, a, ton, yeah, he was a tunnel rat to talk he, about, wouldn't you? Yeah, he, he was, was a tunnel rat for God's sake. Was, yeah, I mean, he's, yeah. he, I think he'd be all right because I would just be, I would be such a wimp. I would be, where is this <laughs> island? When, uh, what, when, what's it like? Is there wild animals? Renny Ballard's a good swimmer as well, isn't she? Because she's yeah. a very, yeah, she'd yeah. be good. Um, you know, Ho Holmes and Watson, Holmes, I think Holmes would be rubbish on a desert island. I don't know, he could track things, know, couldn't right? he? There's a deuce where the um where the food is from the tracks and the trails. Yeah, but somebody's got to catch it. Oh, actually, okay. I, 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 I think when, when you hero, take Holmes out, action hero too, he'd do all that. Yeah, sort of. Uh, but when you take him out, the city is a bit lost, isn't it? Tilly, Tilly would be rubbish because yeah, she wouldn't yeah, have any yeah. technology. No, she would be absolutely useless. She uh, says it was though, wouldn't she? We're Poe, in. Poe, Poe would, I think Poe would be all right, but I wouldn't want to be stuck on an island with him. I think he's a bit of a dick sometimes. <laughs> if, you <were> <laughs> island, if you were stuck on an island with Tilly, she'd tell you exactly how many days you had left to live. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'll be dead in 72 hours. Oh, cheers, love. I, I, I started one book, uh, I think it was Black Summer, um, describing a man basically talking himself through starving to death, talking how his gums are shrinking back, so his teeth are loosened. <sighs> His joints are now creaking because there's not enough liquid and things like oh, that. God. That's exactly what Tilly would do. say, yeah, that's why your teeth are falling out because you're, oh. <laughs> you're basically dying. That's what you want on desert islands, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> I mean, the truth is I don't want to be on any desert island, really. Don't make me. That's uh, all right. I, 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 you know, as, to be honest, as long as we had the books, as long as we had the, on the desert island with those books, with those people. Um, then you'd be all right. I mean, it is. It is. As you say before, it's it's 
it's not quite pulling on a comfy pair of slippers, but it's it's such a joy. You know, there are those moments, there are particular moments, like I'm a big fan of John Connolly's Charlie Parker series. Uh, and he has these great subsidiary characters called Angel and Lewis um, who crop up. And you know when they're coming because there's always some little line. Charlie, it'll just go, then Charlie Parker put in a call to some gentleman in New York. And you go, yeah, <laughs> you go, they're coming. You know, I kind of, I, I, I try, when I write, I imagine the books being read. You know, I imagine, yeah. I imagine I'm a reader reading them. Mm-hmm. Even literally, even as I'm typing them, there's the invisible reader looking over my shoulder. And yeah. I, I, I try to engender that bit of excitement. In, yeah. in, that I get as a reader when I read series fiction. Because I'm a yeah. huge fan, I mean, I'm a massive fan of series fiction. Yeah. Uh, you know, going back to, you know, reading comics when you were a kid. And it's, and it's yes. that thing of, you know, uh, you know you're going to get that. Some boxes are going to be ticked. Yeah. But also it's, it's a new adventure. And, you know, yeah. I, I know why readers like series because I'm, I'm a reader and I like them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, guys, this is brilliant. Thank you so much. What a great episode. It difficult. There were people on Twitter, weren't there? There were people on Twitter, naysayers going, those two are going to be hard work. No mention of Barry Forshaw there. <laughs> you all right. Pussycats. <laughs> you were great, guys. Thank you so much. That was brilliant. Cheers, Victoria. Thank you. You've been listening to On the Sofa with Victoria at Crime Time FM. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, rate and review on iTunes. And join in the chat on Twitter using the hashtag on the sofa with Victoria or drop me a line at Victoria Selman. I'd love to hear from you and hope you'll join me next time.